Good morning. You got your Bibles. Go to Second Timothy. Second Timothy chapter three. Second Timothy chapter three. We'll start at verse ten. Let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, help us to focus on you. Help us to learn of you, Father God. Give us understanding. Give us wisdom. And help us live it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Second Timothy chapter 3. We're starting in verse 10. Uh, Lately we've been talking about the work of the Holy Spirit in regenerating us. And recreating us. Bringing us back to life. Making us brand new men. Brand new creatures. In the image of God. But now we're going to transition a little bit and we're going to blend these together. But talking about another work of the spirit that the spirit creates, the spirit regenerates, but the spirit also brings inspiration. And we're going to talk about specifically the inspiration that the spirit gives in the creation of the Bible, the Holy Scriptures. So let's pick up in verse 10 says, but thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Let's just get our minds together. This is Paul's instructions to Timothy. His final letter, as far as we know, that he wrote to Timothy. And in this chapter, he's been contrasting the wicked with himself and the truth that he brought. So in in the opening of the chapter, he talked about the perilous times that were going to come. And how evil and wicked men were going to be. And just how things were going to get worse and worse. And what we picked up in verse 10. He began to contrast himself with those wicked men. Like these are the seducers. These are the wicked men. The perilous times they're going to come. They're preaching and teaching all these crazy things. But you know me. Then he talks about all the things that he went through. Then again in verse 13 he said. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. Deceiving and being deceived. I lived this life. I suffered persecution. I've shown you an example. But the evil men, he said, they shall wax worse and worse. So the evil men going to become more and more evil. It's the picture that Paul is painting. But the point I want to dig into that's going to be somewhat pivotal for us going forward is how he said they're going to wax worse and worse. Said deceiving and being deceived. So deception will be a rampant mark of these perilous times of these evil people. So they're going to grow worse because they're deceiving and being deceived. So men going to come forth in the nation deceiving boatloads of people. And these men also themselves will be being deceived. So that will be a characteristics of the last days of the end times, a rampant growth of deception. Are you understanding what I'm saying? So deception is something that is common. It's something that is rampant in the end times. And deception is one of the most dangerous things on the planet. I like to refer to it as the second most dangerous thing. 
out of all the things that exist in this world, the second most dangerous thing is deception. And the reason I say it's the second most dangerous thing is because it leads to the first, which is sin. And it gets us in a state of comfortableness, thinking that we know what is right, thinking that, that we're okay, thinking that everything is good and dandy, we're on our way to destruction. The Proverbs said there's a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof is death, our destruction. So deception is a very, very dangerous thing. And that's what Paul said is going to ramp up in the end times. That these evil men are going to be deceiving and being deceived. But, in verse 14, continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So in contrast of growing worse and worse, like these evil men, deceiving and being deceived, he said, continuing the things which you have learned, knowing of whom you have learned them, that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. So the standard that Paul begins to transition to for Timothy to protect him from growing worse and worse and being like these evil men is continuing in the doctrine, continuing in the teachings and knowing who he learned them from and not forgetting the holy scriptures. So you know them from your youth. So the foundation or the stabilizer that he put out there is the scriptures himself. And that's the thing that we're going to focus on. That the thing that protects you from deception, the thing that protects you from being led astray, growing worse and worse, is knowing the scriptures. Knowing them. And some preachers like to use, I like the example of like when you're driving. I don't know if y'all ever experienced it before, where you coast to a stop. But then the person next to you is still easing. And you're not sure if you're moving or are they moving. And so you press tighter on the brakes because you think you're still rolling. Until you look to your right and you see that light pole. And you realize you ain't moving. But the only thing that gives you that assurance is that stable thing. Now you will go crazy if that pole starts sliding. <laughs> You'll lose your mind because you have no bearings about yourself to understand, to judge whether or not you moving or somebody else is moving. So it takes the stable thing to give you that surety. And what we have to give us that surety, to know us, to secure us in life is the Holy Scriptures. It's the Bible itself. And we're going to focus more and more on what this is. And continue with Paul in verse 16, when he talks about these holy scriptures, which is able to make us wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. It says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. We're going to pause right now. So all scripture is given by inspiration of God. So all of the scriptures, how many of them? All of them. All of the scriptures. Is given by inspiration of God. How many of them? All of them. So when you read in the scriptures. That Jezebel. Fell. Died. And the dogs 
ate her and licked up her blood. Is that given by the inspiration of God? (laughs) All scriptures are given by the inspiration of God. All of them. When it talk about Ehud in the book of Judges, killing the evil king and him being so fat that when he stabbed him with his knife, his belly enclosed upon the knife. That was given by the inspiration of God. All scriptures are given by the inspiration of God. How much of them? All of them. You sure? All scriptures are given by the inspiration of God. This is notion I ran into long ago and it messed my mind up. I heard this guy, he was, he was preaching and teaching. Very educational, very smart dude. And he made the statement that I had to wrestle with because this guy was education. He's teaching at a college and doing all that good stuff. And he made the statement, the Bible is not the word of God. The Bible contains the word of God. Like, hmm. The Bible is not the word of God. The Bible contains the word of God. And the more I listen to him, that's like that sound deep. And as I listen more and more, I said, that can't be right. Because the conclusion that it reaches me to is that there are some things in this Bible that don't come from God. So in the midst of all the things that are in there, God's word is hidden in there somewhere. That was the basis of what he was saying. That the Bible is not the word of God. It got the word of God in it. So as we read it, we get inspiration, we get life, we learn good principles. And those things are God speaking to us. But the Bible in and of itself, that ain't what it is. But Paul's statement that we just read tends to go against that. Because when he said all scripture is given by inspiration of God, that word inspiration is a very funny word. In the Greek, this is the only place in the Bible that is used. And it is theonoustia. And it's a combination of two words. Theo, which is means God, and pneuma, which is breath, a wind. So what it means is all scripture is God breath. So what he's saying is when you read the scriptures, what you're reading is things that God breathed out. It comes from the loins of God, the lungs of God. This is God's breath, all of it. So the thing that produced the scriptures is the wind, the spirit, the breath of God. That's what all scripture is, God breath. So you got God breath in your hand when you're holding the book. Because it is all breathed out from God. God produced it. God is the one that made it come about. It came into being by God, was breathed out by God, all of it. So all of it is God's breath. And then he begins to tell us some of the purpose of it. And this is where I get a little deep at. So the whole book is God's breath. And this is what it's good for. Saying it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So it's profitable for doctrine, which is teaching. All of it in there is good for teaching. It benefits for teaching, for reproof. Are y'all with me? Doctrine, reproof, correction. So it tells you that you're wrong. It shows you how to be right. And it teaches you what righteousness is. 
tell you a standard. It teaches you. It tells you, Cabronica, you're wrong. Then it tells you, Cabronica, this is what's right. Then it can instruct you down that path of righteousness. All of the scriptures. But then it gets a little more deeper in verse 17. The reason that it's profitable for all these things is that the man of God may be what? Complete. Perfect. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So that's the reason that the Bible, the God breath, good for reproof, doctrine, correction, instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, complete, mature, thoroughly furnished unto all good works, perfect, complete, mature, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now, the point we're going to zone in on a little bit, and we're going to jump back to this inspiration part, is that thoroughly furnished unto all good works. What in the world does that mean? Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So God breathed out this book so that you can be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That means you are completely equipped for all good works through God breath. Let's think about that for a minute. There is no good work that God requires us that we cannot do or that we do not have the equipment to pull off as long as we got God breath. Think about that. That, that, That's pretty deep. So you are called to be a parent. And there are billions of books on parenting. All I'm telling you are a billion different things. All different methods, all different strategies, all different ways to discipline, so on and so forth. And sometimes you try some of that stuff. And a lot of times, none of that stuff seemed to work. Because you got multiple kids with multiple different personalities, with multiple different problems and dispensations, dispositions, they respond to you differently. Some of them, you look at them a certain way, they get breakdown crying. Some of them, you can beat them with all your might to your wrist and forearm, get to locking up, and they won't shed a tear. <laughs> and you get frustrated, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do what, how to handle these. But what Paul is telling us is that through these scriptures, We can be equipped thoroughly to the full, maximize our ability to do every good work. So that means ain't nothing good we can't do. But that also add a little extra something. What it add a little extra? That means you got to know the book. Because if the book, the thing that equips you and you don't know the book, you're missing some equipment. Make sense? You're missing some equipment. You're running back with no shoulder pads. It's going to hurt. Because you don't got all the equipment. But the scriptures has the ability to give us everything that we need to do everything that we're supposed to do. Because it's God's breath. And the amazing thing it is, we have to get it in our mind that this is what this is. 
God wrote a book and addressed it to us. God breathed out something for our benefit, for our purpose, and we need to take advantage of it. There was a day and an age on this planet where it was against the law for you to teach your children the Lord's Prayer. People were being burned at the stake if it got found out that their children knew how to say our Father which art in heaven. This is part of the journey that we have come through. And they weren't going to jail. They weren't losing their jobs. They were being burned at the stake, set on fire while being alive. All because they tried to teach their children the Bible in English. This is part of our history. Bloody Mary that we used to play around with. Now, y'all know some of y'all older folks, y'all done it. Got in the mirror and yelled your bloody Mary. But bloody Mary was a real person who did some real treacherous things to real people who was trying to obey the scriptures. All because they wanted to read a book. And even now to this day, I read a story of a guy. I probably told you before because it always sticks in my mind when I saw the picture of the dude. Dude was a slave. And somebody came by and invited him to Bible study. This is modern times. Invited him to Bible study. He went out of curiosity. He didn't believe in no Jesus. He didn't know anything about no Bible. He went out of curiosity. His master found out. And nailed his leg to a fence post. Just because he wanted to read the Bible. Millions of our people are being destroyed. Thrown into prison. Some of them killed. Just, just because they won't look at a book. But we live in a place. And we live in a country. Where we got Bibles literally everywhere. You can go to the Dollar Tree. And spend one dollar and get one of the big old thick Bibles by this big. Got like eight books on one page. <laughs> but it's still this big. How that happen? I have no idea. <laughs> you had a whole half of the New Testament on ten pages. But that Bible's still this big. <laughs> but we have Bibles everywhere. Everywhere you go, you can find a Bible. We got it on MP3, DVDs. They got Roku and Amazon TV apps that can just let the Bible play all night in your house. We got all this type stuff. But we are one of the most Bible illiterate societies that ever existed. I was teaching children's church one time, not children, youth church. And I just did this experiment. I got a couple of kids who I knew, parents were deep in the church. And I knew I had been going to all the youth events and all the things for a long time. And I tested them, pulled them up front. I told one of them, name me 10 beers. They were they rattle them off. Miller, Budweiser. They were going to talk about rattle them off. These church shit. They were able to name them. I told another one, name me 10 brands of cigarettes. He struggled a little bit. He think he got like five. 
Like, okay, that's pretty good. Now, name me ten of the commandments. They stood that, ah, oh, does not kill. Ah, <laughs> oh. and they struggled. I don't think one of them got over four. But they can name me all this other stuff. One of them, I asked about rappers. I told me they ran them off. All these different rappers. I never even heard of them. Like, name me 10 of the 12 disciples. Ah, oh, Peter, John, Paul. <laughs> and these are church kids. And I intentionally picked the ones who I knew parents was in the other room leading everything. Who spent all them hours up in there. Who been doing this since they was yay tall. But they couldn't tell me Ten Commandments. They could name half of the disciples. But they can tell me who was on the top ten billboard in the hip-top chop. They can tell me, like I said, they folk, they holiness people. They don't supposed to be drinking. But <laughs> they can name all them beers. Are you understanding what we're saying? That we live in a culture where the scriptures is not known, but the scripture is God's breath. God took time to write a book to give us instruction, to give us a guidance. But more than that, it said it equips us. So just think about this in your mind. Have you ever wanted to do something for God? You believe God called you to do something, to live in a certain way, to obey a certain command, and you found in yourself the inability to do so. I've been there. And you say, I've been praying. And I'm saying, I've been watching all these preachers on TV, meditating, and doing all the stuff I'm supposed to do, but it still don't work. I say, like Jesus, have you not read? It's amazing how we try to find power in everything. And we're willing to trust every other thing. We read Jake's books. We read Joel Osteen books. But we won't read God's book. All them other books we done read. But we ain't read this one. We need to get in this. This is the only one that gives us the promise that I will be thoroughly furnished, completely equipped for every good work. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? God wrote a book and we need to receive it as God's book. Go, let's look at another one. Go to Second Peter. Second Peter. Chapter one. A wide understanding and knowing the inspiration of God through the scriptures is, is, is very important. Second Peter chapter one, verse 15. Second Peter one, 15 is one of my favorite, uh, I have to find a new word for it. I say that quite often. This is one of my favorite seven verses. <laughs> yeah so I got a favorite verse a favorite seven verses a favorite ten verses 
<laughs> this is one of my favorite seven verses. We're going to pick up in verse 15. It said, moreover, I will endeavor that you may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. For we have, we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mountain. This is deep. This is Peter giving his description of, of, of these things that we believe. Like don't y'all take these things for granted. And I want you to remember these things after I die. Because the stuff I'm telling you, we ain't following no fables. This is real. This is real life. And how do we know that it's real? Because we was there. And Peter get even deeper. He said, we saw Jesus receive honor and glory because we heard a voice come from heaven and speaking about Jesus saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. We heard it. And he's making reference to the Mount of Transfiguration. Just put yourself in that scene. You on earth with Jesus. Y'all walking. Jesus give you a special commission. It's 12 of y'all. He called three of y'all to come up higher with him. And when you come up higher, you see him transform from a regular dude to a man who's glowing in all radiance and all majesty. Peter experienced this. He saw this with his own eyes. And in the midst of you seeing this, you see two dead dudes walking up there talking to Jesus. This is like it's amazing. And you get bold enough to open up your mouth and God from heaven tell you to shut up. This is my beloved son. This is the man you hear God speak directly from heaven. You see a man transformed in front of your eyes. You see two of the prophets that you revere and built your life around, walking around, talking right in front of you. Like this is, this is a scene you'll never forget. This is like one of the most important events in the life of Peter, I would say. That, that, that's, that's pretty deep. How many of you wish you can have an experience like that? That you can see Jesus walking around, putting feet right in front of you. He, you following them. Y'all going on a trip, a journey up a mountain. Now that's deep. I can just only imagine me and Jesus walking up Give Drive, walking up that high hill. You know what I'm saying we we get to the top. <laughs> you know what I'm saying we get to the top of that thing. You know Standing up there on the corner. <laughs> Chilling. Elijah come down from the bus station. <laughs> I can't walk up no mountain. That's about the best I can do. Up that, that, that hill. And that's enough. That have my thigh burning right there. <laughs> that'll, be, that'll be dope. That'll be amazing. And that'll show enough confirm the reality of what I believe. And that's what Peter's saying. We ain't, we ain't telling you no fables. We ain't telling you no tales. This is real life. But then Peter get a little deeper. Watch this. In verse 19, we have also, so along with that, we got a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in the dark place until the day done and the dark star rise in your heart. So he's saying we got something more sure. We got something more dependable. We got something more reliable 
than all this great experience that I experienced. Like, hold up, Peter. You don't get no deeper than that. You saw with your own eyes. You heard. You was there. How does it get deeper than that? What, what, what else you got that's deeper than that? It's like, did, did, I got a more sure word. You heard God speak from heaven. How much more sure can it get from that? So I got a more sure word. In this more sure word, you do well to take heed. So if you want to do good, take heed to this more sure word. And watch as he continues. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved, as they were compelled, as they were pushed by the Holy Ghost. So deeper than hearing a voice from heaven, deeper than seeing with your own eyes a man transformed, Peter, the dude who experienced that, so I got something better than that. And what's better than that? The scriptures that came from holy men of God as they were moved, as they were compelled, as they were pushed along by God. So God produced something that we can depend on more than the things that we see with our own eyes. That's deep. And this is why the scriptures are so important. Because it is the unmovable foundation of all life, all godliness. Not only does it equip me, but it's the sure thing. It is the thing that I can depend on. So when we seek confirmation of our faith, when we seek confirmation of our identity, when we seek confirmation of who we are, what we're supposed to be, we don't need to go anywhere else other than the scriptures because this is the sure thing. More sure than any experience. More sure than any voice from heaven. I don't care how many visions you got. I don't care how much revelations you have seen. Is it not founded upon the word of God? I don't trust it. We cannot trust it. Because the Bible is the sure thing. And we have this from the mouth of the dude who's seen a greater revelation than any of us. That's deep. Are you, are you, are you tracking with me? So we should not take this book for granted. It is the sure thing. So when you go into some of them deep churches, where they got you praying to see visions, to see angels, and see all that other stuff, you need to humble yourself and pray to see understanding, to see Jesus through these scriptures. Because all them revelations, all them feelings, all them goosebumps, all that stuff will fade away, but the word of God will abide forever. That's why it's the sure foundation. Jesus, Peter walked up that mountain with Jesus one time. Peter saw Jesus transform one time. Peter heard that voice from heaven talking about who Jesus was one time. And it's a memory that will soon fade. But the word of God will never fade away. It will always stand. It will always abide. And it is the breath of God. You see what he's saying? That holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So it wasn't people sitting down making up stuff. God wrote a book. And we got to understand that this book that God wrote is God's revelation of himself. Let's look at a couple of things. Go to uh, Mark. Mark 12. Mark chapter 12. Mark 12, 36. 
Start at 35. It says, and Jesus answered and said, while he taught in the temple, how say the scribes that Christ is the son of God? For David himself said by the Holy Ghost, the Lord said to my Lord, sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. Pay attention. Jesus, he said, how say the scribes that Christ is the son of David? For David himself said by the Holy Ghost, the Lord said to my Lord, sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. You, you, you notice what Jesus did, doesn't he? Jesus showed you what he believed to be the product or the producer of scripture. He quoted David. But how did David say what he said, according to Jesus? By the Holy Ghost. So the words of David was produced by the Holy Ghost. That's what Jesus believed. Jesus believed that when David spoke, it was the Holy Ghost speaking. When it comes to the words contained in scripture, go to Acts. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 verse 16. This is Peter talking. He started talking in verse 15. It said, men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled was the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. It said, men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled was the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas. So who did Peter believe was speaking when they read in the scriptures? The Holy Ghost. He said the Holy Ghost spake, but he used David's mouth. So the words that we find in scripture, if we believe Jesus, if we believe Peter, are the very words of the Holy Ghost himself. So the Holy Ghost produced the things that we read. These just ain't men making up stuff. Go to Acts chapter 28. Acts 28 verse 25 says when they agreed not among themselves they departed after that Paul had spoken one word this is what he said well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet unto our fathers so this is Paul's talking and he believed what that when Isaiah spoke who spoke the Holy Ghost so we got Jesus Peter Paul, these people believed that the words that they were reading were not the words of men, but the words of the Spirit of God. The Holy Ghost was speaking. So when people ask you who wrote the Bible, the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. These are his words. This is his revelation. Go to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. Verse 7. This time we... So right over the Hebrews. He said, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost said, Today if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness. This is the right of the Hebrews. So when he quoted from the Old Testament, quoted from the book of Psalms, but he said, who told him, who, who was speaking that stuff in the book of Psalms? The Holy Spirit. So, over and over again, we see that the people who we revere as being the men of God, they believe a certain thing when it comes to the scriptures. They believe that what they read, what they had in their hands, when they were reading through David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, that they were reading the words of the Holy Spirit. 
And we can multiply these examples of times where they quote something from the Old Testament and they say the Holy Ghost said. So the book that we have in our hand was produced by the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God is the revelator of the book. He's the one that inspired it. He's the one that give life, which means we should compel, be compelled to read it, to know it, to understand it, because God wrote a book. Are y'all with me? Go, we're going to look at one more and take it on home. First Corinthians. We may look at two more. Just, just, cause it may make me think about something else. First Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter two. First Corinthians chapter two. Verse nine. First Corinthians chapter two, verse nine. Said, but as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Said, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Very famous scripture. And it's talked about the fact that there are some things out there that God has for us. Nobody knows them. It's some deep stuff. Some great mysteries, some deep revelations, some, some grand promises that God got out there for us. Nobody knows them. But read the next verse. But God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. So the spirit is not only the inspiration of the scripture. He is the one that gives revelation of the scriptures. So there are some deep mysteries when it comes to the Bible. God produced it. You should expect to see that. There are some things hard to be understood when it comes to the Bible. You should expect it. God produced it. Said, but all these things, these deep things that have not entered into the heart of man. God has revealed them unto us by his spirit. And it just made me thought of another thing. How many times have you been in church where somebody went deep in on there? You get to the end of the sermon where the organ get to playing and that thing get to going and rolling, boy. And the man quote this scripture and tell you about all this wonderful stuff that don't none of us know. I have not seen, ear have not heard, neither has it entered to the heart of man the thing that God has prepared for us. Y'all ain't heard that? Well, dude, get it going in. Everybody get excited about this stuff we don't even know nothing about. And then we leave thinking that God got some stuff that we don't even know nothing about. We can't know nothing about it because it never entered into the heart of man. This is deep revelation. Nobody can know it. And everybody leave church excited, crunk, feeling good. And nobody ever did what? Just read the next verse. (laughs) Read the next verse, dude. You can know these deep things. You can know this stuff that man never even thought about. Why? Because the spirit is the one that revealed it to who? To us. So that's just, that's just, that's why you need to read your Bible. Because people trick you, man. 
people will trick you and say some stuff that sound real good. When all you gotta do is read over to the next verse. I remember the dude was preaching about the uh, the parable of the sword. Deep. I'm a real deep going in. Laying that thing down. But he made one mistake. He didn't read to the end of the chapter. Because he explained the whole parable, not realizing if he just read over a couple chapters, Jesus already explained it. And half of that stuff he made up didn't go with what Jesus said. But did people shout? Yeah. Did people feel good? Yes. Did people expect the breakthrough and the manifestation of the fruition of all the promises of God? Yeah. Did people know anything about their Bible after they left there? Not a single bit. Because everything he told them, if they just read down to the end of the chapter, they would realize he was lying. And we could have got back like 45 minutes to an hour our whole life. <laughs> if he might say, everybody just buy your head and read your Bible. Because <laughs> everything I'm about to say ain't in there. <laughs> I'm sorry, y'all got me sidetracked. <laughs> but skip down again to verse 13. It said, which things we also we speak, not in words which men's wisdom teach it, but which the Holy Ghost teach it, comparing, comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. This is Paul continuing. Now God gives us revelation of the things that he has inspired. That's how we can know them. So we need the spirit for understanding. But watch, check what Paul said. It said things we also speak. So the stuff that no man can know, the stuff that the natural man has not received, the stuff that has not entered into the heart of man, Paul said we speak these same things. The same things that the Holy Spirit has shown unto us, we speaking it to you. How do we speak it? Said so not in the words which men's wisdom teach it, but what's the Holy Ghost teach it. So Paul is being very bold. He's saying that I'm teaching you stuff and the stuff that I'm teaching you is the same thing they taught you. And I'm teaching it to you by the wisdom that the Holy Ghost gives So Paul had the audacity to believe that the words that he was saying was the words that the Holy Ghost was saying. Therefore, he thought about his words, that the Holy Ghost was teaching people stuff. And the Holy Ghost was giving him words and wisdom. Which ended up being the same thing that the Holy Ghost gave Isaiah, Jeremiah, Moses, and all them other people. That's what Paul thought about itself. Said, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is the promise that we have. God wrote us a book. And the book that we have access to is the very breath it's the thing that's produced by the inspiration of God. And not only did he inspire it, but he's within us to give us revelation and understanding of it. So who can know the mind of the Lord? None of us can by think and figure out who God is, what he has done, what he has accomplished. But he said, we have the mind of Christ. So Christ's mind is inside of you, which gives you access to the understanding, to the knowledge of the revelation that God has put forth. You can know what God said. Aaron, you can be deep. Deeper than all them deep dudes. Break it down. Why? Because you have the mind of Christ. 
David made the statement that your word hath made me wiser than my teachers. That's, that's truth. That's reality. That I can be wiser than the dudes, the deans, and the, and, and the heads of the faculty at Yale and Harvard and all them dudes who breaking it down. That you can walk up there with your country accent and break it down and be deeper than them. Because they got men's wisdom which don't understand the things of God. They got a natural mind which cannot comprehend the things of God. That's why they're wrestling and struggling trying to figure out how to help people, how to benefit people, how to raise children, how to do all this stuff. But you got the mind of God. The mind of Christ lives inside of you what gives you access to the revelation of all the deep things that have not entered into the heart of man. So you can listen to that deep dude from Hop and you can say, wrong, man. I don't know what he's talking about, bro. I'm telling you, just like you do. Talking just like that. You don't know what he's talking about, bro. I'm telling you, you don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> Have you studied microbiology? No, I ain't. I ain't studied none of that. I studied God and he made it. <laughs> so he can give me some understanding that these dudes don't have access to. Because we have access to God. God gives us revelation and that revelation is through the mind of Christ and the spirit of God. Go to the other Corinthians. The other one. Second Corinthians. Chapter 3. We're going to take it home right here. We're going to start in verse 12. Talking about this inspiration and revelation that we have access to. Through God. It says, seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. And not as Moses which put a veil over his face that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which was abolished. But their minds were blinded for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament which veil is done away in Christ. Now this is Paul. He's getting a little deep. He's flashing back to Exodus 33 and 34 when God when Moses was on the mountain with God and he prayed to God, show me your glory. And he was up there. God came down and spoke to him. He got all the great revelation. He got the commandments. All this good stuff went on. It says that when Moses came down from the mountain, his face shone with the glory of God. To the point where the people couldn't stand and look at Moses because of the radiance of his face. And he said he put a veil over his face so that he could speak to the people. And what Paul has done as he's saying that same veil, that covering of the glory of God is on the hearts of the people when they read the Old Testament now. So he's saying they have a block, a blindness on their minds that keeps them from understanding or truly seeing the glory of God in the Old Testament. Uh, you, you, you're getting what he's talking about. So he took the action of Moses and spiritualized it. So when Moses put a veil on his face to shield them from the glory of God, he's saying even to this day, there's a blindness over their mind that they can't see the glory of God in the scriptures. So God's glory is God's radiance is contained in the scriptures, but they can't see it because there's a blindness. There's a veil. There's a separation. Something that keep them from seeing it. He said, but in Christ, that veil has been taken away. 
So the thing that blinded their mind, that kept them from understanding, that kept them from truly seeing the glory of God has been removed. Now let's keep going. In Christ, that veil has been taken away. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that spirit. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So when we turn to the Lord, saying they're reading it, they don't see it, they can't get it. But when it turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So the thing that creates blindness, the thing that creates hardness, that separates us from seeing the glory of God, when it comes to the Lord, that thing is taken away. Said now the Lord is that spirit. So the spirit that produced the scriptures, he is the Lord. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So there's freedom. The blindness, the hardness, when it comes to the Lord, has been taken away. We have liberty now. We have full access to the glory that they could not see. Are y'all with me? That's what he's talking about. So please, when them them church folks trick you, as a side, y'all always make me go off to the side. When they trick you, and they quote this verse, where the Spirit of the Lord is their liberty. To justify they sleeping around, getting drunk and doing all that other stuff, telling them they lying. That ain't what that verse talking about. This verse ain't got nothing to do with you being a fornicating Christian. Ain't saying nothing about that. This verse ain't got nothing to do with you shack it up. This verse ain't got nothing to do with you being sloppy drunk. Somebody I read my Bible, bro. I don't know about you. But I'm saying, I know you. Say, say a scripture. I be like, hey. This verse ain't got nothing to do with that. This liberty is freedom from the blindness, freedom from the veil, freedom from the hardness that held them down, that kept them Jews from seeing Jesus and recognizing the glory that came unto them because they did not understand the scriptures. John 3 told us Nicodemus was the great teacher in Israel. Man, he, he was the teacher. He was the man. He was the one that gave the revelation. But when he had a conversation with Jesus, Jesus said, but dude, man, how you teaching? You don't know this stuff. Jesus had to check him. You, you the one that's teaching the people, man? Because there was a veil. There was a blindness. All his years of study, all his years of instruction, he could not see the glory of God. He could not see coming the Messiah. He could not see the new birth that was right down in the same scriptures he was reading. He's like, but we have liberty. We've been set free from that blindness. We've been set free from that hardness because the spirit of the Lord is there. We can see plainly the things that they could not understand. Are y'all with me? We can see plainly the things that they could not understand. Said, but we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord because we got this liberty now. Said, but we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. That's deep. The Spirit of the Lord liberates us. It sets us free to see the glory of God clearly, plainly. So when we look into the Scripture, when we look into the revelation of Moses, we see the glory of God. And it said, as we behold that glory, we're changed into that same image. Y'all understand that? So I'm wicked. I'm vile. I turn to the Lord. Boom. Blindness is taken away. 
a newness of mind come to me. Now I can see plainly the revelation in the, in the glory of God. And he said, as I behold it, the glory of the Lord, I'm changed into that chain, into that same image. So the glory of God that is revealed in the scripture, I'm transformed into that glory from glory to glory, even as by the Lord. By the spirit of the Lord. So the spirit of the Lord is in the scriptures. And as I behold it, as I focus in, as I see the glory of God in the scripture, it transformed me into that same glory. This is the promise that we have. So the spirit of God inspires the scriptures. And it also gives revelation of the scriptures. And through that inspiration and revelation, I am transformed. So I need to be doing what? Studying. Beholding. I like the word the way it uses. Say, as we with open face behold in the glory of the Lord, as in a glass. So it's just like staring into a mirror. But we see the glory of God. And that glory is being reflected back on us. And we're changed and we're transformed into that same image. So the image that we behold, we become. The image that we behold, we become. Which means I need to get in this book. Because I don't want to look like Jake. So I don't need to be studying and focusing on his books. He might be a cool dude. But I don't look like him. I want to look like Jesus. I want to look like the Lord. I want to be the image of God because that's what I was created to be. So if I want to be what I'm created to be, and that is the image of God, I need to behold the image of God in this book because he told me I'm going to be changed and transformed to that same image. All I got to do is behold his face. Are y'all with me? God wrote a book. And that book has the power to transform us so that we are, what what type of furnish Paul said? Thoroughly furnished, right? Thoroughly furnished. Onto how many good works? All good works. So I can be mature and thoroughly furnished. Are y'all sure that's what it says? I can be mature and thoroughly furnished and I got access to be transformed into the very image, the glory of God. Oh, man, that get pretty deep. So how much room do that leave me to be anything less than what God created me to be? Zero. How much obligation does that put upon me to be what God created me to be? A lot of it. But it all goes back to who? God. Because God is the one that has to open up my mind and give me the revelation. God is the one that produced the book. And God is the spirit that gives me the liberty and the freedom that transformed me. So all I got to do is just look at him. Looking at Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. That's what we got to do. Why I can see him at the most in the book. So let's please be people of the book that study, that searches, and that goes deep into knowing who God is so that we can be complete. Thoroughly furnished unto every good work. Transformed into the very glory of God that we behold. Anybody got any questions? This is a question that I want to ask is this right here. People that's on drugs. Maybe out there prostituting, doing things that's, you know, 
that's, that's living a life that's wrong. My question is this here to all of us. Do you think that you should ever listen to them if they quote a scripture to you? Or should you just listen only to people that appear to be walking upright or people that just go to church? Do you think you should listen to a drunk man if he say, Jesus loves you, he's saved? Should you walk away from that person because you see him drunk and say, I don't want to listen to him because I have a scripture because I want to see what the answer would be because all of us meet people that's out there doing something and when we hear them say, Jesus love you, or people, I've seen them say, well, hey, that man, that was on crack. I was going to listen to him. Now, I have a verse. Can I, are you going to answer ahead. it or should I share I, this verse? i answer your question. Go ahead. Okay, this is, uh, because we have a lot of people out there passing by people and they don't want to hear. But God can use a donkey, a rooster, any type of animal, anyone. Here's the verse here where it says in Philippians, the uh, first chapter, and it says, Some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and of strife, and some of some also of goodwill. It says in verse 16, The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. Verse 17, But the other, see, he keeps describing mm-hmm. different type of people. But the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. And here it goes again, verse 18, he says, What then, notwithstanding, every way, whether in pretense, it is, he said, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And I therefore do rejoice, yea, I will rejoice. According to that scripture right there, we got, you know, the Bible test say, be quick to listen and slow to speak. Mm-hmm. So a drunk man can tell you about a hole that he done already passed over. Now, there are some people that's been in the word and backslid and got word in them. But even God knowing every man that walked the earth, he know that what he has in that man. And that man may have a calling just like Judas, just not Judas, uh, uh, Jonah, who ran from the Lord. Now, he was in sin, but immediately after he repented, he got right on up and went out and then preached what God told him to preach. And so we see people now today because they have these flaws in their life and it can cause people to not hear because God can use anybody. According to this scripture right here, it says whether in pretense or in truth, the one thing that matters is that Jesus Christ is preached. So I believe from what I'm reading right here, and I think it's good for everybody to know that you got to listen to what is being said because, as you said earlier, if you don't know the scriptures, then you'll know whether or not this man is saying what is true. So I believe that this scripture points out that this is why he said many going to say, Lord, Lord. You're going to have some Christian people that's appearing to be right that's going to be saying, Lord, Lord, and got mega church. And he's going to say, depart from me, where you may see a drunk man who's been rejected. And maybe the reason why he rejected because some of the people in the church won't or what they shut the door on him. So does that scripture actually say, according to what it said, it said some preacher in pretense, some in truth, some out of ill will, some for strife, some for gain. But he says the one thing that matters is that Christ is preached. So 
Yeah, I'd agree with that. I'd have quoted that scripture quite often. But the, 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 the part that we have to be cautious of is what Paul says, you know the scriptures and you know of whom you have learned them. So we hear all things. We don't despise prophesy, but we cleave to that which is good and we abstain from that which is evil. So, yeah, I can hear it. Like I said, my PE teacher was fat. I, I, I use that expression all the time. I, my, my PE teacher was fat. But that don't mean she didn't know what she was talking about when she taught us about diet and exercise. But <clears throat> in that hearing it, I, there's also a level of reproof that I, I call us to. Because if I hear a drunk man claiming that he knows the Lord, and he may speak something of the goodness of the Lord. So I have to question him about why he don't take heed to the own words that he preached. And so there's a sense of responsibility to us that if he's sober enough to hear, let us hear. Now there's some that you just, they rattle off because they can't hear nothing. They, they, their mind's just so far gone. <laughs> that, 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 I'm sorry. That's something that happened yesterday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you, you you can't get a word in. <laughs> it's why, but the fact that he wrong don't discount discount the truth that he says. That that if it's true, it's still true, no matter who said it. I, I agree with that. Go ahead, Justin. And this is not my personal stance, but it's a question that comes up. I feel like when we talk about the scriptures and their validity, um. What would you say to the person who says that what you said is true? In other words, all scripture is is inspired by God. Um, but their definition of what scripture is, is only what is referenced directly by. So you talked about Paul and your references, you know, Paul was saying everything I'm saying mm -hmm. or they would reference specific scriptural references from the Old Testament. So, and the point I'm getting at is there are many, many books that were written that were not included into what we call the Bible, mm -hmm. right? And so, how would, how does one avoid including things that should not be included and discarding things that, you know, should be discarded? You know what I mean? How, how, how does one sift through all of that and define scripture properly? That's a deep question. I was wrestling about whether or not how deep we were going to go into that. And I'm glad you asked. There's multiple layers to that. The first part is what I referenced earlier. That's what that guy was hitting at. That the Bible is not the word of God. It contains the word of God. And so that's the idea that everything that's in there. Some of it is man. Some of it is just people talking. Some of it is just history. And within that is the word of God. So when I talk to somebody who think like that. My immediate thought is to question on them. Uh, how do you reach that conclusion? Because there's multiple times where the people who you reference to as an authority on these things, they don't seem to have that same mindset. So when Paul makes his statement about all scripture, then our question becomes, why is it we don't see this deviation in the mind of Paul when it comes to some of those things that these people talk about? 
that when Jesus talks about the scripture, when he talks about what it is that he taught the people, he goes through the same categories that was passed down to us, the law, the writings, and the prophets. So he, he has the same list, the same understanding of that Old Testament canon that, that was passed down through Jewish tradition, the law, the writing, and the prophets. He makes reference to those same things. And with him in his conversations to them, there is never a question of validity, always a question of right understanding and interpretation. So anytime Jesus confronted the people about seeing the thing they taught, he never said, well, no, nah, y'all don't understand because you're reading the wrong book. He validated everything they said and everything they made reference to as being true and as being the word of God. He quoted the same books with the same validity and the same authority. The only thing he questioned was use and interpretation. So in the mind of Jesus, there was no dispute about what was passed down. If you understand what I'm saying. So we have that that lineage of acceptance when it comes to Jesus and it comes through the apostles of the things that they thought and understood as scripture. When Peter makes reference to the scriptures, he added Paul in that. I think that's 2 Corinthians, 2 Peter chapter 3. He's like, men rest and change the scriptures. I mean, rest and wrestle and change the words of Paul as they do the other scriptures. So in his mind, Paul's writing was scriptures just like all the rest of the scriptures. And so we have these references and we, and we have these promises. And the promise we got from Jesus in John 16 is that he was going to bring to remembrance everything that he taught them. And that the Holy Ghost was going to teach them everything that he taught them. So we have this promise from God that what disciples were going to teach was going to be the same thing that he taught. And the Holy Spirit was going to make sure that they remember it and that it was the words that he spoke. You get what I'm saying? So those are part of the things that I lean on in my understanding of what the scriptures are. Now, when it comes to these other things, we have to wrestle. So why is it that we reject certain books and accept certain books? And, it's, and it varies. It's, the conversation can get deep because you got the apocrypha, which is rejected on a whole nother reason. Then when you get to all this new Gnostic gospels and stuff. But my short answer would be that when it comes to the apocrypha and all those things, no authority we see quote those as an authority. There's no reference in history of those who we respect and uphold as being people and men of God that show any reverence to any of those books. Like I said, when Jesus spoke, he spoke about the law, the writings, and the prophets. The same ones that we got. And those fit outside of those categories. And when it comes to this Gnostic stuff, those things were rejected right out front. So when you're talking about the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Judas, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, and so on and so forth, when we read those things, they were 100 years after the apostles. So they get disproved right up front because you're telling me that Thomas wrote this when the time that they were written, Thomas was dead. So I don't believe you because you're lying about who wrote the book. <laughs> so I can't trust it because the very formation itself is a lie. And then when we dig into it, it teaches things that goes contrary to the stuff that we know and have surety about. So Peter tells us that Paul's writing is the scripture. But when I read the gospel of Judas, he tells us something different than what Paul told us. So I trust Peter over whoever it was 300 years after the time of Christ that telling me this is what Judas said. You get what I'm saying? But we can go a little deeper into that if, if need be.
Go ahead. There are two books on Hebrew here. They're called the exact names. That is referenced in the Bible mm -hmm. as like legitimate books or documents, but they're not carried over into, in, into the canon. You're talking about the book of Jasher and, and the book of, huh? Not Enoch. Uh, so that's one of so Gab. And that always, I mean, growing up, I was looking for those books. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like what happened to them? It's hard to say because we got some around. It is possible for you to go find the book of Jasher. Attached. It never was. As we see the scripture passed down, those books were never attached. And so what we gain from, from that is one that the people who received them did not see them as scripture, but as history. So in their reference as a validation of historical things. So we're saying this is what happened in the war of this and this and that. If you want to know more about it, read in the book of Jasher. So it's only made reference to in those historical settings, never an authoritative setting. You get what I'm saying? And so as we look back, as the canon is passed down, we see those books. Like if you go to Ethiopia, they got one of the oldest versions of the book of Jasher. Is it the same thing that Joshua was making reference to? We don't know. But it's one of the oldest ones. But even in that setting, they don't have it contained with, within scripture. It's just a, a historical book that, that copied down some of the early history of the Jewish peoples and the conquest into Canaan. So it never was accepted or, or brought into the canon. So that's why we don't accept it. Because the people before us, Elijah and all them folks, Ezra and all those people who began to com combine and contain the scripture, they didn't make reference to it as scripture. <laughs> Somebody else had a question over here, friend. If God is perfect and he made the world, shouldn't the world be perfect? Very good question. If God is perfect and he made the world, shouldn't the world be perfect? Yes. And God, when he made the world, he made the world perfect. But he gave it to some people who made it unperfect. It said, the earth hath he given unto the sons of men. So God made a world and gave it to us, and we messed it up. Yeah, so the world, when God made it, was absolutely perfect. But then Justin, great, 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 great granddad just, just tore the whole thing up. <laughs> when God led Israel out of Egypt, was he the pillar of fire in the cloud? Yes. He wasn't in it. He was. Said so he wasn't in it. He was it. Yeah, the Bible makes reference to him being the pillar of cloud by day and the fire by night. So, if he was just in it, he was so in it that it was hard to tell the difference between him and and it. What if you were a Christian but not a Jew? Are you a Gentile? Yes, the word Gentile just basically means nations. So that was their word for everybody else. So when they said Jews and Gentiles, they mean Jews and all the other nations. What happens once your body dies? What happens once your body dies? Mm -hmm. Your spirit goes to be to, with the Lord and your body go down in the ground and start corrupting and decomposing and turn to worm and maggot food. <laughs> Wait, does it happen immediately? What? 
Tell me, does your spirit immediately goes to be with the Lord? Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And Jesus gave a teaching that there was a rich man and a dude named Lazarus who died and said, once the rich man died, he opened up his eyes being in torment. So he gives the picture that the dude was alive and he died and just, just like open up your eyes in the morning and he was in torment. So it seems to be immediate. That's it? Okay, they're all yours. <laughs>